Hello, and welcome to The Purpose. I'm Bill Brunson. And I'm Kit McClurg. And today, we're going to be talking about Philippians, the second chapter, beginning in the fifth verse. That'll be our focus, and this is what the, that, that passage of Scripture says. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. This passage of Scripture, though it comes from Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, um, it it actually does tie into where we what we've been talking about last last in the last episode and now in this episode the different names of Jesus, because you see we talked about last time that Jesus was the son of David. Well, another name that is used for Jesus is the son of man. And this passage, even though it's from Paul's letter, which takes place a number of years after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, it illustrates why Jesus was called the Son of Man, why Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man 80 different times across the four Gospels, why he would refer to himself as the Son of Man. And so it, this passage talks to us about Jesus being made in human likeness. And so that's our theme for the day, the Son of Man. And it may not be how we often refer to Jesus, but it truly was who he is. Yeah, there's so many different titles that that Jesus uh, is used for Jesus or he uses for himself. Probably Messiah is the one that we think of the most. Uh, son of David, uh, we looked at that last week. Uh, son of Man is an unusual one because it is the one that Jesus preferred to use the most when referring to himself. And it's uh, it has a different meaning in different parts of the Bible. If you go back and, and look into the Old Testament and Ezekiel, uh, God speaks to Ezekiel and says, Son of Man – from Ben Adam or Ben Adam, stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. As he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet and I heard him speaking to me. And he said, Son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me, and their ancestors have been in revolt against me to this day. Now, some of us don't realize, but the word Adam from Adam and Eve, Adam just means the man. And Eve, the woman. Uh, so uh, as as God is speaking to, to uh, Ezekiel, he's saying, human, you human being, certainly a child of God because I created Adam, but you need to go and do this. It's not really referring to anything that's divine. It's really for referring to his humanity. And so early in some of the, the scripture and prophets, Quite often, son of man meant uh, human. And it's wonderful to know that Jesus was human. I mean, part of the creeds say that he was fully human and fully divine. And for most of us, that's a concept that's nearly impossible to grasp. Um, but that's where the church landed. It wasn't he was kind of human and kind of divine, a little bit of each. It was fully, fully. 
And so um, when we start looking at the word son of man, initially it was talking about just simply being human being. Well, and the reason I think that Jesus utilizes the son of man as the primary way to refer to himself uh, when he talks about how the son of man did this or the son of man does that. Um, like in, in Mark, he says, the son of man came not to ser- be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, Mark ten forty five. Um, the reason I think he uses that is he's trying to remind people or teach people about that balance that he has in his life of being fully human and fully divine. If you look at all that he does, how he interacts with people through the three years of his ministry, so much of what he does is, well, it comes from the divine. I mean, he is casting out demons who recognize him as the Son of God, as Jesus. Uh, I mean, he is casting out demons. He is raising the dead. He is walking on water. He's calming storms. He, he's doing all of these miraculous signs that point to his divinity, that point to him being different, him being special, him being of God. And so I think he is trying to constantly remind people that he is a, the son of man, that he has that human side. Because that's what is is so tremendously powerful about Jesus in, in so many ways is that Jesus experienced life. It, it wasn't as though he were he was in in the world, but not of the world. He was literally in the world. He was fully holy, fully divine, yes, but he was also fully human. And so he was hungry. He was thirsty. He was tired. He took naps. Uh, he ate with friends. He, he went to events and was probably happy and was sad. We know that he weeps over the death of his friend Lazarus. Uh, we, I mean, he, he has emotions. Um, he has feelings. And so he is fully human. And for the early church and for all church, I think throughout the years, for for me now, I, I love the fact that he knows what we've experienced. And even in Matthew's gospel and in, in, in the gospels when it deals with Jesus going out into the wilderness to be tempted right after his baptism, it doesn't say that he went out into the wilderness and Satan attempted to tempt him. However, Satan failed because Jesus was impervious to all temptation, and so he really wasn't tempted. It said that he went out and was tempted, which indicates while he resists the temptation, while he He's able to answer Satan back on every one of his his suggestions, his, his temptations of, why don't you turn the, the stones into bread? Why don't you jump off the temple? Why don't you bow down? He's able to answer back, and so he resists the temptation. But the fact that it says Jesus went and was tempted, it, it gives me hope because Jesus knows what it's like to at least pause for a second and go, could I? Should I? And, of course, Jesus shows us the example of being able, he, he was able to say, 
no, I shouldn't. I couldn't. Um, and hopefully we learn from that, that example. But he experienced everything. And so I, I think our being able to follow him is being able to follow someone who knows what we go through and can empathize with us. And that's powerful. You know, I grew up in a tradition that emphasized um, the idea of becoming holy and being made like Christ. And um, one of the requirements um, for becoming a pastor in that in that tradition was to be able to tell the day that you were uh, you were made uh, sanctified holy is the word that was used, and that you you had a sinless perfection. And so my date was when I was 15 years old. Now, fast forward about six or eight years, and I discovered that there were entire categories of sin that I didn't even know existed when I was 15 years old. There was uh, uh, things that I, I never knew I would be tempted by or that I would have to face. And, uh, and of course, being human and being, I mean, certainly trying to follow Christ, but not being perfect, it really threw me off, and I had to really, you know, I had to grow more deep in my theology uh, to realize that that concept is is a little skewed, because we are very human and we are prone to wonder, as the as the old song says. Um, but what made me helped me in my in my spiritual growth, kind of coming out of that, was the realization that that Jesus was fully human. And rather than looking at me and saying, well, you goofed that up, uh, Jesus knew what that felt like. I mean, it, it, not that he had sinned, but he knew what the temptation was like. He knew what the struggle was like. And rather than being uh, in judgment of, of me trying to struggle through life, uh, he was one with me. He, 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 was, uh, he was human just like me. And so that kind of changed, and for me, means everything, because rather than having this God on high that that just looks down and is never happy because we're never getting it right, well, Jesus knows by becoming flesh, he knows exactly how hard it is to do it exactly right. Yes, and that's, and that's why one of the most uniquely Christian doctrines is the doctrine of the incarnation. The idea that God would come to earth and be born as one of us, that God would come and, and not just, well, in, in the story of the first Adam, uh, in the story of Adam and Eve, you have that moment where God comes and walks in the garden in the cool of the evening. And I've always, as, a, as a kid, I always loved that passage, the idea of God, God just coming and walking through the garden. And I thought that was really, really neat. But God was still God in that moment. Adam was still Adam. Uh, man and woman were who they were, and God was who God is, and God was in the garden and, and all. This is different than that. I mean, this isn't God coming into the world as God. It is God coming into the world as a baby. I mean, you have that powerful image in the Old Testament when Moses asked to see God, and God tells him that you cannot see my face or lest ye surely die, um, that kind of thing, because God is so holy. 
so pure. And it, I love that passage where it talks about how God has Moses, places Moses in the cleft of a hill and covers him with his hand and then walks by him through the valley and then removes the, his hand and he sees God, Moses is able to see God as God is moving away from him. And, you know, that's giant. If God is able to say, no, you can't look on my face or, or I will cover all of you with the palm of my hand. I mean, that's big. And the incarnation tells us that that big giant God comes to earth as a baby, that part of the Godhead, the Trinity, the son of God comes to earth to also be the son of man not playing the the king card and saying, I'm the king, therefore we're going to do it differently while I'm here, but instead actually being one of us. You know, there, there are stories about at different times uh, people wanting to see, you know, monarchs and all, wanting to see how the other half live and what it's really like uh, to be with the common people. And, you know, I've, I've, there have been so many movies made of that. And, and so they go to live as the uh, among the people, but they end up making, uh, well, all kind of accommodations so that they're still treated like royalty. It's hard to give up. All of that. Yeah, and you know, and I I um, I remember growing up watching the movie Coming to America and the Arsenio Hall and Eddie Murphy's characters come to America and they go to Queens, New York. And Eddie Murphy, he is the prince and he is con- he is dedicated to living as one of the people. But Arsenio Hall, who had been one of his courtiers in the court of his father, the king, um, he was really used to nice stuff. And so he ends up decking out their apartment with everything, including an indoor hot tub and all of this, because he liked the finer things and he wasn't ready to give all that up. God comes into our world and gives all that up. And as he's born as a human. And so when Jesus grows and lives and laughs and loves and cries and and is betrayed. I mean, and, and you know, has has friends turn on him. I mean, when Jesus is going through all of that, I think it's to me it's so powerful to know that when I go through that, Jesus has walked that he he's already going walk that ground before me. You know, there's a a story uh, that. Uh, Queen Elizabeth told of uh, when she would want to get away, she would always go up to her castle at Balmoral. Now, we we went to Scotland, my family did, and we were going to try to go to Balmoral. But let me just say, there's nothing there but a castle at Balmoral. And you drive, really, it's a day or two days just trying to get there and back. And so it's remote. But there was, people would hike up there, and she, though, tried to be as much of a normal human being as possible. And so she would just dress in regular clothes. And, and when she was in public, she always dressed in these bright, solid color, uh, pastel sort of color dresses that would, would bring attention to her. But when she was at Balmoral, she just wore whatever was warm. And so she was on her one of her, she called her daily constitutional walks uh, with uh, with one of the bodyguards. And they came across a, a, 
a couple hiking, and they struck up a conversation, and they asked uh, the queen and her bodyguard if they'd ever seen the queen. And Queen Elizabeth said, well, I haven't, but he has. And uh, so they were they were impressed by her bodyguard having seen the queen. And, and then they asked the queen if she could take their picture. And so she took their picture, and they went along, and they never realized that they – were in the presence of and just asked the Queen of England to take their picture for them. I I wonder how it felt for people like Lazarus and Mary and Martha and um, so many of the other people in Jesus' life to, when it finally dawned on them, I asked God himself in human form to come to my party and he showed up, and we had a great time. I mean, we just can't fathom that. But that's exactly what Jesus does when he comes to earth. He he becomes one of us. He lives like one of us and experiences life as we did. And uh, it's, it is truly one of the key pieces of Christian theology uh, because it, it clarifies our God is not one who just set the world like a clock um, and built the clock and wound it up and let it tick, as the deist would claim. Um, but he came into our world and is in with all the dirty parts of the clock, uh, trying to and 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 helping um, helping us along. Yeah, I I hope that as you're going through this week and you're thinking about the Advent and Christmas season, the 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 birth of Christ into our world, that you'll think about the fact that that Jesus came into the world for you, to be with you, to live life here so that he could understand you better, to live life here as one of us so that he could know what you go through day in, day out, good days, bad days, what it's like to be really hot and what it's like to be really cold, uh, what it's like to not have enough sleep and what it's like to to be hungry. And, and he wanted to experience all of that because he knows you experience all of that. And he wanted to be able to be in a relationship with you. And so he wanted to know you that well. And so this week, as you are facing whatever you're facing, I hope that you will take comfort in knowing that God loves you so much that he sent his son to be with you so that you could have a relationship and so that you would know that you are never, ever alone. I want to close this today with a reading from Barbara Brown Taylor, who is a uh, preacher and, and teacher. And I love a, a, a writing she did a long time ago now on what happens at the Incarnation and what happens at when Jesus comes into our world. She said, the angels and archangels and all the company of heaven agreed that it was an outrageous plan. The idea that God was going to become a baby, a real human baby, weak and vulnerable, at the mercy of everything that afflicts a human life? The courts of heaven advised against it. It was absolutely too risky. Surely there were other ways that God could show his love to his people, maybe through stories or history or ritual or symbol or laws, or maybe there could be more prophets. It's already been tried, God said. 
The angels continued to argue with themselves about this risk-taking display of God's power. But as they did, God turned around and left the chamber, shedding his robes as he went. The angels watched as his midnight blue mantle fell to the floor so that all the stars that were on it collapsed into a heap. And then a strange things happened. Where the robes had fallen, the floor melted and opened up to reveal a scrubby brown pasture that was speckled with sheep. And right in the middle of them, a bunch of shepherds sitting around a campfire. It's hard to say who was more startled, the shepherds or the angels. But as the shepherds looked up at them, the angels pushed their senior member over to the edge of the hole. And looking down at the human beings who were all trying to hide behind each other, the angel said in as gentle of a voice as he could muster, Do not be afraid. For see, I'm bringing you good news of great joy for all people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Messiah, the Lord. And away up on a hill, from the direction of town, came the sound of a newborn baby's cry. This Advent and Christmas season, remember that God came into this world in that baby to grow up and to live among us and then to suffer and to die and to rise for us. All because God loves you that much. I hope that you'll join us next week on The Purpose.